0: Thank you for joining us for another JGT Podcast. This is the third instalment of our Talking Music series, and I'm very, very pleased to say that this episode is hosted by Joe's big brother, Sam, Sam Martin. Sam's guest is professional drummer Alex Reeves, who is best known for playing drums for Elbow. But he's recorded and performed with many other artists, including Dizzy Rascal, Razor Light... Shania
1: Twain and the BBC Symphony Orchestra.
0: We're very pleased that Alex found the time to talk to Sam and I'm sure you'll enjoy their conversation. As always, this podcast is brought to you by the Joe Gilligan Trust. Alex, how you doing, man?
1: I'm great. Nice to see you and nice to hear you.
0: Yeah, you too. It's been a while. I think uh, we met back in 2011, I think it was. Uh, when yourself and Lottie were supporting Scott
1: Matthews on tour. Yeah, it was a wonderful little, uh, wonderful little, but slightly tricky tour for me, um, because me and Lottie were doing, well, Lottie was, who is now my wife, uh, we met playing, um, I was playing on an album, um, and someone, I think it might've been me, made the decision to, um, to try and do, make an entire band with just two people uh so she was playing guitar and then i was playing I, I mean i'm just a drummer i've never been anything else but i decided that at that time i was also going to learn how to play keyboard bass and sing so that it would sound like a whole band without having the budget of a whole band and then we tormented ourselves uh, and i think i bit off a bit more than i could chew to be honest
0: yeah it was great because you had the, the little kind of midi keyboard next to the floor tom or the other side by the hi-hats yeah playing all the bass lines and then
1: obviously do everything else one-handed <laughs> it's great yeah it was it was tough i've seen a few people do it. oh my god i've seen some people do it really really well like playing proper keyboards and stuff with them um, uh with their kind of left well left hand and then drums with their right hand and then singing as well so they sound like they sound like the full the full shebang in fact there's a guy there's a guy i know uh called rob gentry he's not a drummer he's a keyboard player but he plays um he's got this little mo- moog moog i don't know how to t- take your pick um, <laughs> like kind of left hand, uh, like bass thing, he plays keys with his right hand, right, um, and then sing and, and sings, it's incredible. Like, and me and him did a few gigs, just, just me and him. Uh, and it was remarkable. He, he sings, he's got the kind of range that Prince has got in his wow. voice. It's, it's like blah, 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 and then, ah, all the really super massive, massive, like four octaves whatever four useful octaves probably plus a plus a load more if he wants wow he actually played with um jonas policewoman for a little while okay definitely depth for jonas policewoman doing that so he's playing left-hand bass and i think this was the inspiration for the Lottie thing uh he, he the bass went through a bass amp yeah. inside i'd so it sounded really like like it was properly moving air yeah and then right hand keys and then backing vocals pretty pretty badass that's awesome man josh uh, is it josh dion as well he's another guy
0: who does that sort of stuff American guy yeah but he does the same sort of thing um I saw him at uh the drum festival in Manchester um it was a couple of years ago now. I think it was 2018 2019 something like that and uh yeah he was just incredible man just just him on his own with his, with his setup you know yeah
1: what I mean what what a brilliant thing to be able to do but also what a budget saver (laughs) (laughs) you know you need one tech yeah you got one musician it's like it's like i always think of this with when i when i see um you know ed sheeran and fill in wembley stadium yeah the kind of tech budget for that's pretty low relatively you know it's not like watching muse who've got you know or, or like uh or, or pink floyd back in the day when they've got you know they spend millions of pounds you too or millions of pounds and these huge great big like uh you know they get uh what's her name devlin oh it's devlin i can't remember what, what name, but you know doing you know proper big time um stage designers doing everything and making this thing look incredible. And then they put 20 lorries to bring it all the lights and all that kind of stuff. And then just like, etch your and acoustic guitar, plug it in, <laughs> gig. Yeah, off you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Lewis Capaldi was doing the same sort of thing, I think, wasn't he for a yes, while? yeah, he
1: was, isn't
0: he? he can, he can, he can hold the stadium on his own. I mean, that, that, that must just feel incredible, you know, just kind of having songs that you've sat and written. In a bedroom probably for for the most part for most people and then just going out onto a stage like that and you know, to thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, you know, festivals and on your own. Yeah, amazing. So uh, how's how's the work been for you
1: during the how's the work been? Do you mean you mean during lockdown, right? You mean during the last year? Yeah, it's um yeah. I mean, it is a, a very bizarre thing for musicians right now. And uh, it's what may mid May 2021 now um, so things are just starting to open up I've got a gig in a, in a couple of weeks but it's the first gig I'll have done for for age I did a couple like knocking around in that little bit where the UK opened up for a few for a couple of months and then it will lock down again um so so I, I have not I've hardly played with another person. In fact, I don't think I have played with another person apart from those like two or three gigs that I've done for for a year. Um, And uh, in terms of like, you know, in terms of work, it's it's obviously catastrophic. Um, But in terms of like your kind of soulful pursuit of music, it's just been, I've been in my studio. I have my studio here, which I'm uh, very lucky to have already established before all of this stuff happened. So I've been doing loads and loads of music, um, some of which has been, for for kind of you know, uh, for a pleasurable pursuit, pleasurable pursuit, uh, some of which has been just because I need my soul to be provided for um, for musically. Um, but um, so, so some of it has been paid, but it's always been on my own. It's quite a strange experience playing just playing drums on your own. To, to obviously to music, you're playing along to music, but it's already recorded. No one's reacting to you. Um, so it's um, the last year has been a, a testing in many ways. I had a meet. I had a a, a band kind of, kind of set up a band almost in the moment the lockdown thing happened. We had a um, uh, our elbow tour was was cancelled. Uh, well, not cancelled, postponed. Um, and um, the guy phoned me up the next day and said, "So what are you up to?" I was like well clearly nothing <laughs> what are you up to? Yeah. Like, do you want to do some music i was like okay so we started we started doing this thing which originally originally the idea was that we, we just put two, two you know me and him playing some stuff together singing and drums yeah uh, but then we added kind of brought in a load more people and kind of close mates and now it's turned into an actual thing that we've got an album recording for and uh um so that's really been beautiful that's been like you know pursuit we're not getting paid for it uh, it's music for music's art for art's sake, music for music's sake. Um, back and forth, everyone putting their ideas in. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So that's been, yeah, that's
0: been beautiful. I think um, like things like that, especially now, you know, for for people's you know mental well being as well as that's that's kind of you know a big a big issue at the minute and kind of more of a spotlight's been you know put on that during the pandemic. So you know having something like that, you know, to kind of have something to focus on and something positive and you know, something to kind of drive you towards just moving forward all the time. You know, I think it's, it's really good to have.
1: Yeah, a reason to get up in the morning. I mean, I mean, I have, I have also have two kids, uh, yeah. although only <laughs> one of them's only been around for six months. <laughs> She's six months old. So, um But, and, you know, I'm at home with my, with my family, with my wife and uh, and, and two kids. So there's, there's, there's always a reason to get up in the morning, even yeah. if it's just to, Uh, make breakfast and wipe asses, Uh, but the, um, (laughs) uh, but the, uh, you know, from a music point of view, um, I mean, it would have been, it would have been very, it would have been very easy to do nothing um, during, during this entire time. I say, I say easy. And I mean, very specifically for me, I know a lot of people haven't been in that, in that position. I know a lot of people have struggled, but, but uh, I fell in, my wife and myself both fell into the bracket where we got government help. Uh, so that was and and without having to kind of augment it with too much extra stuff. Um, So we were, you know, pretty grateful for that, and it's kind of allowed. While there's been very little actual paid work, it's allowed us, well, me anyway, to kind of pursue, uh, you know, some more artistic, um, kind of avenues. Like I said, art for art's sake. Um. So has that been
0: like a, a creative process for you then? Because obviously you're part of a, a collective way. Everybody's kind of bringing their own thing to the table, you know, more so than kind of just be like a, a sideman as it were, you know, as we both know kind of what that's like. Yeah. You've had time to perhaps put a, a bit more of your own creativity into a project.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you know, that's an interesting, that's an interesting topic anyway, creativity and, and like, you know, being a sideman, being a session musician, like, what to, to what point do you uh, do you add your own voice uh, and what, where's where's the cut off with just fulfilling a a remit a musical remit and doing exactly what is needed to be doing and being yourself? Um, I saw this really interesting thing. There's this guy called Richard Bailey who uh, 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 who plays for Father John Misty, and he put a thing up the other day, which I I really I was really interested in. He he, he said um, he put this uh little soliloquy of of um uh um Michael kane talking about acting on on his instagram page um and he com- he was directly comparing it to being a session musician um acting which i i find a really good comparison uh, you know you, you're you're you are yourself and you're and you're hired as a person you know who has your personality and your sound and your look and your kind of all the all the stuff that you need to be hanging around with musicians all day. Um but at the same time, you've got to you've got to do the job in the right way for that specific time. So you know, for instance, joining Elbow, um as, as a session musician anyway, I, I had to play the stuff that Richard Jack played. I had to play that and I had to play it like him. Because who wants a, a new member of a band to complete well, I mean I know it's happened, but completely change the sound of a band when they're playing all the old songs. They don't, they don't want like some chopsy thing when I'm playing one day like this. So, you know, you, you, you've got, to, it's got to sound like that song. So you're acting. Um So yeah, but you know, go, then, then going forward, you kind of, you know, you push yourself <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of yourself. They like that. They don't like that. Whereas with this, what well, the thing that, going back to the question you asked. um, Yeah, this is me. Like I've got opinions in this that matter. Well, well, obviously my, you know, everyone's opinions matter all the time, but um, I've, I've got a, I've got a voice that's like unique to myself now. Yeah. I'm not copying anyone else, it's great. Well, right. I am copying everyone else, all the great drummers that came before. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to kind of ask you a few questions about your studio really, because it's, it's quite an interesting setup you've got in there and the masses of gear that you've got kind of lying around. And
1: Yeah, it's become, it's become a bit of an obsession so it. So are all the all the sessions you do then from from your place? Uh, no, but it's much, increasingly it's it has been during this last year. Uh, I. It's nice to to kind of have a studio which sounds good where you've got good gear and you've got and you know how to get a sound. Um, but um, you kind of uh, you know all the stuff that I've learned from that has been through playing and playing for other people in big studios and well any studios. Um, you know mic setups. I don't know if you can see behind me. Um, the mic setup that I'm using that is a yeah so so there's the there's like my for instance for instance every single thing that I've bought has been because I've liked the sound of it somewhere else um you know so if you're you're in you're in I don't know in fact I've got to say you're in most of the big British London studios anyway the ones that I know and almost almost every time you do a drum session uh they'll set up an old, an old kit, and put a set of a pair of coles um, ribbon mics over the top of it, and and then augment that with something like a U sixty seven, a Neumann U sixty seven. So I just copied that. I just got a set of coles, and then I couldn't afford a sixty seven because they were ridiculously expensive. So it's a guy called Jack Reynolds makes makes kind of clones of them, and they're brilliant. So I got one of those. So that's my that's my overhead setup in this in this room. I just nicked the ideas from all the big British studios. Um, Wicked, yeah. So how about snare
0: drums, because I wanted wanted to ask you about this because um, I've heard kind of like uh, quite a few people say over the, over the years, the snare drum in a, you know, the, the way the snare drum sits in a, in a record can either make or break the drum part and a snare drum choice is quite an important thing. And I've always kind of thought about that before I've gone to a session or into a studio. Well, you know, I've got kind of, you know, 10 or 12 snare drums here, which one, which one's right for the job kind of thing.
1: Uh, i think probably one of the most important days i had last year and i mean it's happened before but certainly last year when i had when i had much more time was a snare drum nerd out day <laughs> in fact, i think it was i think it might have spent spanned a week uh where That's i was where I, I, yeah it was oh my god it was okay again non drummers switch off now it was so, <laughs> it was so much fun <laughs> it was so much fun come back in 20 minutes uh it was um i got all the snare drums that i have which i just gradually collect you know over time you just you just like a thing you get that and then you like another Mm. thing you get, and you got a bit of money so you get that um and then i got a deal with sonar like i don't know 10 years ago and they sent me some stuff which i love and it's like properly beautifully made drums that sound great but you you know head choice and the way you tune it and damping and all that kind of stuff makes such a difference on a record such Mm. a difference Uh, you're completely right in what you said um, the, sne- the snare drum—it's one of the most important instruments in like certain types of music. I mean, even in like dance music and uh, and electronic electronic stuff, the, the snare drum being dominated—you know, dominating or being coming out of the way. You know, think of a, an eighties like power ballad and how there's you know there's there's drums designed to sound like a, there's eighties power ballad snare drums. Have you seen that one that A and F drums in the USA do, which is like a I think it's an 18-inch snare drum. <laughs> <laughs> it's something ridiculous, you know. Something you wouldn't even—you'd barely fit in the back of your car—as um, a snare drum. And it's a bat. I think it's called the ballad snare drum. Mm. And it's made to go. Yeah. Um, it's going to have its own reverb and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you've got to know you've got to know what your drums sound like. And I've got a, like in this corner here, I've got my kind of like favourites, my favourite ten snares on a note. As soon as I pull them off the, of the snare, off the off the off the shelf, and put them in front of whichever one of two or three mics on the on the close mic of the kit, either a fifty-seven or two o, BA two o one is my go-to ones. Um, um, I know what they're going to sound like because I know what they record like, and I've mixed my own drums and I've balanced my own drums in that track. Mm. Um, I'm actually going at the moment for a more pingy sound. Right. Okay. There you go. I've been I've been doofing for ages. Doofing. <laughs> Having those kind of tuning stuff so low and flappy, and like putting loads of dampening on it, and it's got so they've got so much bass and presence for those kind of drums. But at the moment, I've I've actually put on a uh, a, a seven, early seventies Ludwig Acrolite, which goes ping. Okay. Yeah. Sounds great. It's like a like the superphonic kind of Ludwig snare drums. That's It's the kind of basic student model of that. And it's, it's there's something about it. Love it yeah ping yeah love it i've been after a, a, a
0: superphonic for a while and they keep popping up um every now and again on yeah. uh, on ebay
1: do you know if you if you want to, if instead of the superphonic, get uh get an acrolight they're way cheaper um and they sound very similar
0: mm. i saw Lorna lewis using one recently um the guy from snarky puppy um mm. he's just he's he's got to be one of my favorite drummers Yeah, the modern drummers kind of you know of, of recent times um, ever since I saw Snarky Puppy, uh, I actually saw them in Manchester at Band on the Wall.
1: Man, I bet that was That's very intimate, isn't it?
0: That was just like, it was, I don't know, we, we kind of witnessed something really special. It was before they kind of became really cool, you know, and um, the they, they release of the album kind of went quite big, you know. Um, but that gig was just something else. Uh, but it, it wasn't actually Lonel on that gig, I don't think it was Spot. Nice. see, right, the other guy
1: uh um Lana's a, a remarkable drummer if, if you if you're listening to this and you haven't checked him out check out his stuff with um Quincy Jones the live Quincy Jones orchestra stuff he plays right okay yeah good
0: awesome so who kind of inspired you to get started because I'm I think I'm, am I right to say you didn't really kind of get into drumming to you about 15 16 that kind of time yeah yeah so what was what was the inspiration there
1: um i don't think there was like a drummer inspiration uh, uh, like a popular drummer inspiration i think it was more because my mates were doing it um there was a friend a good friend of mine at school who was teaching drums and i and i really loved the sound of the drums and the feel of the drums um and my best mate who lived next door tim sandiford uh who's still my best mate and is um uh, a a wonderful musician a guitar player still um played for all sorts he he was you know a big inspiration because he was just so into playing music and i went around to his house you know when you're kind of young you haven't really heard music well you have but you you know you you haven't you haven't had an obsession like like that before where you can actually do it and make something and like make something that's that's beautiful and new and well at that time it was it was smashing smashing cymbals and playing as loud as i could which was terrible for his parents because I lived in. A, a very badly made semi-detached house that was literally <laughs> attached to his place um so yeah my, my first drum teacher noel martindale uh was was probably a really big influence on in me and he, he was the one who started saying oh listen to this record and let's try this and all that kind of thing mm. um and then and then at that time i started then i started like checking out the drummers and um and listening to all sorts i think th- i remember at that time i was obsessed with a, a vhs of Vinnie Colliuta playing with Sting. I think that was my, um, that was like my, my, my go-to obsession. I think I wore that video out watching, just, you know, watching how, how he played with, how a musician like that plays with pop musician, kind of pop, you know, um, yeah, that was probably my first like, like drum obsession. Yeah. I had the same sort of thing with,
0: um, the Buddy Rich concert of Steve Gard. Dave Wecker oh, yeah, and yeah, Vinny. Yeah. Oh, cause there's loads of guys in that. Wasn't
1: there Jojo Mayer
0: in that as well? Was it that early? Uh, no, was, obviously this is like, like the eighties, I think, kind of, ah, okay. Okay. '80s the but this, uh, that was like the first kind of proper drum orientated video, I think I'd ever seen. And I was, I was doing a work experience actually at a music shop at the time. And, uh, there was not a lot going on really. So used to just sit in the back and just watch, you know, drum videos. Cause they were just lying around the shop. So I put this one on and it was just like, I was just blown away and then became, became a massive Dave Weckel fan after that. And then obviously Steve Gardner, you kind of find out who he plays for. And, you know, obviously the whole Steely Dan thing came around and, you know, that type of thing. So yeah, it's, um, it's so great to just have that footage still around actually. I'm really glad for YouTube for you know for that sort of thing because that's just kind of available anything really now is available to anybody isn't it so
1: yeah it's it's a remarkable place for for, uh, if you want to learn something i mean there's a lot of rubbish on there in terms of like people teaching technique and like really not getting it um but um if you pick if you find the right things man it's incredible what an incredible tool for people to uh people to Mm. learn from absolutely yeah
0: Okay, cool. So, I mean, getting onto kind of your, your setup a little bit then. Um, cause I was thinking about this the other day at one of my favorite drummers in the whole world is Benny Greb. Oh yeah. Um, and I had the, the very fortunate kind of experience of having uh, a week's, um, master session with him in Germany. Oh, great. Um, but obviously I've been keeping an eye on him for, for a long time. I think 2015 was the, the first time I saw him on YouTube. Um, but I just wanted to talk about kind of setups cause obviously through following him, you could see how his kit has evolved over time. Everything's become kind of a lot lower. He's changed the kind of sound of his cymbals and you know um, the the size of his drums and all that kind of stuff. So there's all these kind of factors coming in. So I just
1: wondered how how your setup has changed over the years. I don't think it's changed that much, if I'm really honest. I, I think the way that I hit the drums and the way that the drum I want I, I want to make the drum sound has probably changed a bit. Um, but um, I kind of settled on a kit that I liked pretty early. I, I, I was like my twenties, I was playing in this, in this bar in Cambridge called La Raza. And I was playing sometimes I was playing three times a week there. Um, uh, yeah. With some wicked music, amazing musicians. I kind of made my bones there really. Um, and it was, a a little bar underground, like big old flight of stairs to get down to it. You couldn't park very close to it. And, um, my development of my kit was based around two things. It was based around the music that I was playing it was based around the loading and um, <laughs> the music, yes. that, I was playing, <laughs> the music <laughs> that i was playing a lot of stuff was was like kind of new soul jazz influenced hip-hop kind of um kind of beat based music um a lot of like philadelphia soul of the time so roots the roots and like just got and Eric badu and all those kind of like i was playing with a female singer uh, and um uh but i i worked out that i could there was so I was playing that stuff. So the bass drum, I used this little 20 inch Ludwig, which I loved. I still got it actually. Um, and, a, and a Black Beauty snare drum with a, uh, with a wooden hoop on it. Um a quiet set of old supers in hi-hats, which I'd found, I don't know, I can't remember where those came from, and a um, quietish ride cymbal and that and a floor tom and that was it and um i started kind of augmenting it with like occasionally like a second little snare drum or like another set of hi-hats so not, not you know not having toms but just being able to make be like kind of like what chris chris dave does a bit and that he's got like three snare drums four sets of hi-hats um and a bass drum that in so so inst- instead of like playing loads of drum fills on the toms and loads of like you know like cymbal stuff just playing a different beat on a different sound to to pick it up into a chorus or whatever. Um, But the loading was tricky. (laughs) And so I figured out a way that I could get my hard, my cymbal case on my back with a snare drum in it and all my sticks in there. And then my hardware case, if I emptied it of all the stuff and just had a bass drum pedal, um, hi-hat pedal, one cymbal stand uh, and then a little boom cymbal stand and then my floor tom legs uh, and my seat. And then it got all of that into there, and then I could put my bass drum under my arm and a, and, a, <laughs> and my floor tom on the other side, and I kind of waddled <laughs> waddled from the car like across across Market Square where it was the only legal place to park, like, and then down the stairs, and I could do it in one go. And then that yeah. means at the end of the night I could do it in one go. I could get up the stairs. It was tough, and I, I felt like I felt like I was kind of like doing a little gym workout. I was always out, out of breath by the time I got downstairs, but. Um, I can't, my drum kit choice hasn't really changed since then. No, yeah. If I'm honest, it's like all you need is a, one symbol: floor tom, snare drum, bass drum, hats, hats for like most of the stuff that I want to play. I, I'm, I'm not. I, I, yeah, I mean, I like I practiced a lot of like chopsy stuff, but to be honest, I'm more, way more into a two and a four. Yeah, than a beat yeah, than absolutely. Into anything else. So, like with all the the projects that you kind of
0: choose, then does is there like a, a kind of core? setup you have in terms of sizes and things like that and then you obviously obviously augment all the other stuff around that uh
1: yeah, i suppose so i mean it is um it's different for every gig it really is different for every gig you, you've got a suit like the, going back to the uh going back to the michael caine acting class thing you know you've got you've you you've got to have an actor walk into a place having done the research of the character and learned at college and you know done lots of practice and all that kind of stuff and you know they'll they'll know how to do a an accent from a from a region or or um, you know they know how to ride a horse or like you know they know how to do a sword fight or whatever the film is and all that kind of stuff. In 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 the case of music and drumming, the thing I know the thing I know about being a, a session actor, let's call it, um, is that you've got to be able to hit to know how to make the drum sound and then what you work from whatever what's the sound I want and then you work backwards from there. And with with so so I don't know. With Elbow, I use a massive bass drum. It's a twenty-four inch kick. It's not massive, but you know, a bit bit big kick. Um, biggish toms. A couple of snare drums. Loads of cymbals. A couple of sets of hi hats. Um, I hit the drums in a in a very certain way. Um, like for instance, the the sound engineer Danny Evans hates a rim shot. Like as in uh, hitting the rim of the yeah, snare. Yeah. He doesn't like. <laughs> Which I, I, when I went in, I was doing literally on every snare drum hit, always. Like, crack is how I wanted the snare drum to sound. But, um, he, he wanted the drums to sound bigger and lower and fatter. Uh, and obviously the rim, the kind of rim shot thing, like, like Stuart Copeland does, where he just rim shots everything, mm, always. Everything, yeah. <laughs> so everything goes, everything cracks and that like, cuts through. Sounds wonderful. Um, uh, he hated that, um, because he wanted the drums to sound lower. So, um, I lowered the drums, kind of angled them towards me slightly, uh, slightly more than I used to. Sound. Now I never rim shot on that gig ever. I hit them like hard in the middle of the snare the Ooh, middle, drum yeah. and the middle of the toms to kind of make them sound a certain way. Everything's, you know, when we do when you're doing an arena gig, it's twenty thousand people. No one's hearing you. No one's hearing your uh, the, the kind of like slight nuance in your snare drum. So it's like bush bash, you know. So that's that's quite a different thing to then playing a small club. Where you you know everything's heard and every little detail is is kind of known. You've got little delays, you know, but maybe you've got like an electronic setup which has gotten some delays on the on the snares or whatever. It's all very different. Uh, each gig, very different indeed. So I mean,
0: obviously, you can't just kind of pick a pick a favourite, but over the years, I mean, what's kind of been like a few a few gigs that have stood out for you?
1: Um, I suppose the first time I played Glastonbury was pretty amazing because we've. I, In fact, I think it had been the second time I ever went to Glastonbury. I I went to, went to Glastonbury when I was a kid and I was like 16, 17. Um, and then, um, didn't go back. I was like, I'm a musician now, I, but if I'm going to go back to Glastonbury, I want to be, I want to be there playing. (laughs) Then no one asked me for like 15 years. I was like, oh, come on. And then the first time that I did, I saw all my, every year, I saw it on Facebook and like friends and stuff, oh, you're off to Glastonbury. I was like, no, I don't play in any bands that do Glastonbury. And, um, and then I got this gig with with Dizzy Rascal, um, and uh, the first festival we did one warm up show. The first festival that we did was was the headline third third headline oh, second headliner on Friday night on the Pyramid Stage. Wow. <laughs> it's just like what you know. Then yeah. he's, you kind of you kind of get there, and, and it's, the Pyramid Stage is I mean, it's, obviously it's like on TV all over the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a thing that the Pyramid Stage has is it's on the bottom of a slope. So you can see all of the audience; they just go up right like, away from you. It's remarkable. Um, sitting in the middle, literally in the middle of the stage, like at the back. Like you, you play a bass drum, and um, I remember the last song we played. I think was "Holiday," um, and uh, that the um, uh, Calvin Harris tune. Um, that Dizzy Rascal had a massive hit. it was 2009, really big hit at that time, like the year before, and that number one album. You know, there was like five number one singles off that album. We played them all on, on Glastonbury Main, the headline set. And the last song we played, the big, like, there's, it, I think it drops down or it starts with just a bass drum and, and some sounds. And um, I watched as I was going, you know, doing this, and, and the crowd were jumping up and down to the, to my bass drum and um I could see the delay in the sound yeah, going, all going all the way the back, back yeah. to the very back of this hill and it was they, they estimated it was like 80 80 people watching this one show amazing like remarkable experience you obviously feeling the weight of sound from this audience yeah but watching the sound wave literally as a wave going all the way to the back that was a pretty as gigs go I'm getting shivers just talking about it it was pretty remarkable um, that's incredible yeah but then also like it was really something but then some of the best feelings I've ever had have been from really small shows where I know there's hardly even anyone there you know you're just playing with wonderful yeah. musicians I remember I thought I had an out of almost out of body experience playing with playing with the, in fact it was it was just like you know getting a feeling in a certain way and f- looking at yourself floating above the music like just getting that feeling uh, in that Loraza place actually yeah I had that quite a lot with them, with with my little Cambridge crew, um, where I used to live. Um, like some amazing musicians. There was, in the fact, there was a couple with um, a guy called Chris Hill playing bass, who's uh, paid for all sorts. He's a wonderful musician. And John Turville, who's a piano player, I used to get that all the time with him. And Sarah Mitra, who's a singer. Um, you know, from, all of whom are like wonderful musicians. who I haven't seen in a while now, but you know, it's to get the feeling, the feeling you're after all the time. That, that thing that Elvin Jones had uh, when he, as soon as he picked up a set of drumsticks, like, yeah. you know, the world is suddenly like, wow, this is an incredible feeling. If, if you're on the right wavelength, this wonderful yeah. thing. I kind of had glimpses of that of those gigs.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think that's quite a kind of a important point to, to pick out is, It's kind of why most of us do this thing anyway, is to, to get that moment to, you know, you're kind of aiming for that, that feeling. It doesn't matter where you are, it's the people you're playing with and the sounds that you're making and, you know, it kind of helps to generate, like you say, you know, you're floating above yourself and that's kind of what we're aiming for really. That's why we do it for the love of, you know, for the love of the music.
1: Well, it's the, it's the feeling that it gives yourself and everyone around you. And, um, you know, that's the thing that's lacked in the last year, isn't it? It's just like what, what you're doing it for. Um. Who's listening to this? You don't know because you can't see them. I think Chris Martin, the, the Coldplay singer, said the other day, what, what am I without without the um, everyone uh, shouting my name at Wembley Stadium? <laughs> I mean, it was, I, I didn't, yeah, I don't know. It was obviously, it's like, I think people took the mickey out of him. But I understand the sentiment, you know, you, as, a, as a musician, it's not just who am I? It's like, why am I doing this? You know, there's an existential crisis amongst non-gigging musicians what is this what is i've got the studio like and i just need to know that if you like what i do <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah. i can't i can't tell unless i get the email oh that's good
0: Cause I mean, we, we haven't been allowed in the same space as people like to do gigs or to even rehearse or just have a jam, you know, So it's all been kind of over the yeah. internet and, um, I see quite a few of the, the sessions you've done with Elbow over, over the Instagram page you've got. And, um, yeah, I mean, obviously it sounds amazing and you kind of all, you're all playing the song, but none of you in the same room, no. but you still, you still manage to kind of obviously make it all sound amazing, but it's like, it's, it's, it's nothing better than kind of looking across to somebody and seeing the smile on their face because of what you're doing sort of thing, you know?
1: Yeah. Also, you know, there's a crowd. Yeah, You you have good gigs and you have bad gigs playing the same songs. Why is that? Mm. You know, um, you know, there's, there's, it's because of how you're feeling, how the room is, how how it sounds, how the crowd is reacting to you. There's so many complicated factors. It's, um, it's it's very difficult to nail down, but I, I think the crowd has got so much to do with it. And, and, you know, there are places in the world, I'm sure, you know, but, places in the world that, you, that you're kind of guaranteed a crowd that loves and gets music universally there's always people like that everywhere but sometimes it's everyone <laughs> like dublin is like that and new york is like that and some of them in london are like that but not, not all of them Manchester's an amazing music town you know there's like some of those places you go i mean obviously Going to Manchester with a man with a you know a well-known Manchester band f- filling a place which is full of fans of that band is always going to feel great. But there are some there you know there are some places that are just that are just whatever band you're playing with it's just universally wonderful. Glasgow, oh my god, what a music town! Like wow, man, any gig I've done in Glasgow has been re- it's been remarkable because the crowd is just they will just give they just love the music.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. they just up for it. Yeah. That's great. So, I mean, for anybody, for anybody listening who's, who's just kind of about to start their journey then into the, uh, the music business, what, could you give them any, any
1: pointers or advice as to where to start or like how important, like say networking is, for example? I think networking is, I mean, networking is a terrible name. It <laughs> yeah. sounds like, hey, <laughs> That sounds like something, you know, like it's on a LinkedIn profile. Um, but I get, I get the sentiment. It, it's like I've had more gigs from my friends than I have from anything or anyone else. Mm. Um, and I think going for a coffee with people is as important as going to a jam session with people. You know, you've got to be able to play, but people have got to you know, get on with. You've got to get on with people, and people have got to get on with you as well. Mm. I, I, when I started out uh i went i went to this little local jam session and i'm still playing with most of the people from that jam session now and it was like 25 no not quite 20 years ago it's a long like you know i made i went for like we finished the jam session and then we go for to the little coffee house down the road or like you know drink beer or wine or whatever until like two in the morning Mm. it was wonderful like because i just made some really good friends and then and then they'd be like you know couple of days later, oh, do you, fancy a, do you fancy a coffee? You go for a coffee and that. Oh yeah, by the way, what are you doing Friday? You've got a gig, you know, that that stuff. Yeah, It's just with your mates. So now I'm just playing with my mates. It's, br- it's brilliant. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I think pe- people are the most important, most important thing um, of
0: all. So have the, have the, the sessions you've done then overlapped in some kind of way. So like the thing, so with, with Dizzy, first of all, is that, did that lead on to, to something else or was that like a completely different angle uh, into like the next project?
1: yeah everything's linked in some way um uh, so for instance that jam session that i mentioned um i met and started to play with uh someone who's a really good friend of mine now hal ritson who who md'd dizzy rascal um and he he did that special thing that um i'm gonna say something contentious now that that um uh maybe today's government is really good at which is operation get your mates in um <laughs> and, and i'm saying this i'm saying this with a with a you know a degree of we all do it we do all do it I'm not making excuses for anyone or some kind of political point but um you want your friends to be around you don't you and especially when it comes to music because you're hanging around with people more than you, you're actually doing the job i think mm. if you're on tour so he how uh, ritson um uh, started Operation Get Your Mates In, and basically got this great big band with all of his friends in, all of whom were great musicians. Like that was a given. Um, so we had a thirty, whatever it was, thirteen or fourteen piece playing, band playing for Dizzy Rascal. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, Jules Holland was one of our first things, and then we did, you know, all these. We kind of took it on tour, did all the festivals and all that kind of stuff. And then from that, you know, I met loads of people. Then asked me to do other stuff. I ended up doing. That. I met Jules um, Jules Buckley, the, gu- the guy who, uh, at the time, he was running the heritage. He was directing the Heritage Orchestra, um, uh, who did all of the uh, what was it called, the Electric Proms stuff. Right. They were kind of the go-to orchestra for the Electric Proms. You know all that pop, that pop string players, um, and uh, he put together certain things. We did this like ended up playing with a load of people. Skept of. Razor, Miss Dynamite, um, like with with him, and then um, on on from there. Then a load of like, you know, I did a load of like rap albums, and uh, you know like beat stuff, and then um, with Hal, I was playing in the studio. And one of the things that I did with him was a uh, uh, thing for Uncle with Nick Cave, and that was a tune. And then from there, someone Googled drummers. 'Cause they couldn't find someone that they were doing that that specific tune came up, um, who played on that and then the guy asked me to start playing for Bat for lashes with Natasha Khan. Oh, okay. Um, so and I toured with them for years. And now and now Ben that was Ben Christopher's. I'm now playing in a band with him during lockdown. So he's one of the guys who I'm playing with Guy Garvey in the um playing the lockdown. So, you know, that's a long way of saying Yeah. Everything's uh, connected. It's all linked. <laughs> yeah. Everything's connected. It's madness. It's it's completely you know, people remember you And they, they call you up if they, if they're like, they know, you know, they know, also know you've got a thing or a sound or a a thing that you do.
0: Yeah. That's great, man. So, I mean, is there like a memorable piece of advice that you've been given then over the years that you could impart to all our listeners out there? So anything, anything that someone said to you that's really stuck with you and you thought, well, God, yeah, I'll, you know, make sure I kind of, I bring that into my, into my playing or into my, the way I do things.
1: Um, not one piece of, of advice but i mean the, the amalgamation is like the um be kind It's probably the biggest it's probably the biggest thing uh yeah be be, be nice be a, be a nice person to be around like there's if you're going on tour i think um you're spending maybe 4 hours of your time playing music in some way and some of that will just be waiting for other people to sound check a guitar like you might do an hour sound check hour and a half sound check and then a two hour gig let's say and then the rest of the time you're just in a very enclosed camper van <laughs> with with 12 other people <laughs> yeah. you know a tour bus is a very small place and it's even smaller if there's if there's someone who is just being horrible to everybody it takes one asshole to, ruin, <laughs> to ruin to ruin it to, to cut the, the balance total. of a tour yeah. bus um so uh yeah 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 yeah. be conscientious about other people be kind um uh, i think i think is more important and the same you know if it's if the if the operation get your mates in um story is 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 going to go through your life then no no one's going to be getting you in if they don't like you um even if you're the best player take for instance ginger baker right like, yeah <laughs> he's like one you know an, an incredible musician who who changed music he, he was with a toad he was like you know had the first drum solo on record mm. or like rocked on a rock record um blues rock you know whatever cream did it was a kind of like mixture of stuff but mm. um like can you imagine being in the band with him nightmare with all the yeah. stories like, yeah. he, he'd have been i mean he'd have been a tough tough one to be around and i think was it jack bruce was it one of them one of them they hated each
0: other. Yeah. And, um, you can see why. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, an interview he did with uh, Chad Smith. I think he's, uh, again, you can find it on YouTube, but um, he was so cantankerous, you know, he just sat there smoking, like chain smoking. And he was, yeah, yeah. Just, I don't know, he's got to be in his kind of late 70s, you know, just, just doesn't care, you know, just laying back in this chair, giving like one word answers, you know. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, Chad Smith was trying his hardest to kind of get the information out of him. Just, just be nice, you know.
1: That's right, of course he was. I imagine chad smith was a massive fan as well of, of uh baker.
0: yeah yeah well i think that's why he did it i think it was, Jack, it was uh, chad smith and somebody else but i can't, can't remember
1: there's so many ginger baker stories i've got a couple of my own i'm not even sure whether they're allowed to count you know what? i'm not going to tell them <laughs> uh, but um you know what's that beware of the baker or is it beware of the ginger whichever one is there's that there's that <laughs> film have you seen that one um uh, yeah i think yeah the documentary about him yeah where a guy kind of interviews him and the opening scene is him going to his farmhouse in south africa i think it's in south africa where he's um where he, where he resides and the uh he turns up and ginger baker comes out t- tells him to f off and hits him over the head with his yeah p- punches the <laughs> cameraman yeah yeah i know well yeah and he's known we, him for like weeks he's been doing docu- a documentary for a while at that point it's yeah. like okay but but as you know fine if you're in a band or you know if you if, if you if you're one of the lucky few people who uh, you know who's who's got a band that's then successful enough for you to make a living out of it's rare, um, especially now with like you know the remuneration of of, uh, of well gigs obviously cancelled, um, the big streaming platforms paying you know not even a living wage to um, to the writers of the music. Um, no, it's, no it's, I think it's met, it's you know it's kind of brought it into great relief that it's very tough. So, um, you know, don't disadvantage yourself by being horrible to everybody as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's hard enough as it is. Yeah. 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 Oh, I get, I also get, you know, if, if things are tough, then you, you know, like if things are tough for you and you've worked really hard and you're not getting what you want, it's going to make you angry and annoyed. And I get that, but you know, there's, there's still a great benefit to being, it's just being kind. Um, so
0: are there any albums with certain drum sounds on that you particularly like?
1: And you, you can kind of, well, you, you've tried to emulate in the past. I mean, there's always stuff that I'm trying to emulate. Um, a lot of the time people, people will send a, if they're sending tunes, um, they'll sometimes send a sound reference as well. Um, and it will often be stuff that I haven't heard. Like I, I was checking out some of Grizzly Bears drum sounds, um, and they're just wonderful like what a drum sound that guy gets like mm. really beautiful i think it's really something but then but then from the other side like there's a there's a couple of there's a couple of i mean i, I like a, a lot of electronic sounds uh, as well um like i really love that john hopkins album that was, that was probably 10 years old now isn't it but but like in terms of the sounds he made and how he made them i read up on how he was doing stuff and it was like you know he was like getting a bit of thing he found outside of a studio and hitting a top of a piano with it and then then (laughs) that you know that that kind of stuff wonderful um so so yeah um but but it's a constant like in terms of drum sound it's constant it's a constant polishing process um you know what what the drum sound in the room is you know it's 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 probably only 50 percent of what the actual thing that you're doing is Mm -hmm. there's so much to it it's just like like if you were to reduce it to some kind of maths thing, it would be the most complicated <laughs> like equation ever yeah. unsolvable. I think, how'd you make the drums sound good in this? Dunno. <laughs> it just did sound <laughs> good. Um, so yeah, I think the Chris, Grizz- uh, in recent times, the Grizzly bear, album, I think has been, um, I've been listening to that. and thinking that's brilliant. I did an album for someone who referenced it and, then um, um, loved it. Yeah. Really loved it. One album
0: up. that, um, that sticks out for me, um, is always, um, uh, you Spilt Milk by Jellyfish.
1: Oh, that's like 90s, right? Yeah, right. Man.
0: But honestly, like that is one, like the album, the whole, the whole record is, is amazing. And uh, Roger Manning's done a couple of interviews, but he never really talks about how they got the drum sound from where they were. Right. Um, but it's just one of those records that you put on. It, even now, it just sounds so fresh. Yeah, really. It was done in the 90s, but it's one of them you can just put on and you turn it up like to max. And then, you know, joining a fan club kicks in and you're just like, oh my God. And I don't know kind of that. I'll, I'll check it out. You've got to have a look, man. It's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. It's really good. I think, um, it's Jack Joseph Puig, is it or something? The producer? Oh yeah. Um, and, um, he's, he's the guy who kind of mixed it, I think. Um, yeah. He's done
1: a load of plugins as well, hasn't he? Right? I think so. Yeah.
0: But that, that record in particular is amazing. Um, but also, I, I love kind of um, like the old 70s sounds as well, like you know, Asia from Steely Dan, you know, all, all that record. Even though there's a load of different drummers on, you know, it's quite.
1: Yeah, but it's, there is there is the sound of the time, isn't there? Mm. Like, um, like you listen to that Fleetwood Mac stuff at about the same time. Yeah, um, yeah, kind of like 70s stuff, and they were they were recording in all those LA studios, and I think I think on that album they were using the same. They were using like a AKG four five two on or four five one, the old style on everything, and everything like yeah. everything. Um, like even on you know on bass amps and stuff, do you know what? They might have to check that one, I don't know that for a fact. But uh, I did it, I did a session at the village in LA with Elbow when we were out there, a radio session, and um, uh, they'd recorded oh, it might have been Tusk, I can't remember whether it was that, it was one of those anyway. I, you can google that, the village Fleetwood Mac album, and, yeah. Um, they showed us to the studio that they just like booked out for like a year and a half or whatever it was. And they, they were like, here's where this was done. And this is, they used all these kind of mics and, um, yeah. Well, like those sounds, they're so classic, aren't they? Like recorded in a certain way, very cleanly, but onto tape. Mm. Um, but yeah, with those, like, you know, with, with um, Steve Gad on that. Yeah. On Asia. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and the other, and the other songs that he played on on that, um, that really remarkable drum sounds. that it kind of still has, actually. Yeah, it kind
0: of still has the same. Have you seen it's the same the, same. Um, the Sound City documentary as well?
1: I saw the one with um, Dave Grohl. Yeah,
0: is that? The, that, is that the... Yeah, because he, he's. Um, oh. I think he he took the desk from from there that they recorded. Never mind on. And put it into his own okay. studio. Um, but yeah. They that got- wasn't
1: the village. That was, um, what was the, uh, it was Sound City. It was, the called, place was, called, sound it was City. called
0: Sound City. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. exist anymore, unfortunately. But, um, no. yeah, I mean that, that drum sound is on a lot of records, you know, it's kind of like, as, as he's going through it, it kind of shows you all the album covers of, you know, who's recorded there. It's immense.
1: Yeah. It's on that Rage Against the Machine, that first or second Rage Against the Machine yeah. album, isn't it? Where. You listen to it and you're like wow they mix the bass drum loud on that and the, <laughs> but the drums i mean the drum sound so they're so present mm. and they're so kind of like you know they've got so much front and and punch to them you stick them on the speakers and it's just it's, remar- it's still remarkable yeah yeah amazing yeah. oh one sorry one one other drum sound uh, that just came to mind which there's so many that um it's difficult to say there's there's the kind of classic ones and there's the but something that's really interesting um from a uh there's a couple of drummers actually who kind of lend their sounds to this one is one is one of my favorite i think actually he is my favorite drummer uh is matt chamberlain um who played well he's uh, just an incredible just an incredible drummer anyway but he played on this album with uh, that john bryan produced uh for fiona apple um called when the pawn and the drum sounds on that that tried I tried, did the same as you, tried to Google it and like uh, find out how they did it. And there's very few things that are written, but it was like, what we did is we set up a kit in this room on that day, stuck a couple of mics up, and that's what it sounded like. Um, And the drum sounds on there are just very specific to to Matt Chamberlain. Um, He is an incredible sounding musician and sounds good on everything. He's got an amazing time, he's technically incredible. He does that, he did that, you know, he played with Tori Amos for years as a little th- a three-piece bass right. player and her and, and him. And, um, uh, you know, took this kind of, like, incredible, just incredible sound and feel and touch around um, everything he records. Sounds. He's, he's got his own studio in yeah, the US I don't know. Um, and, in fact, he played, there was a friend of mine who, um, who played on an album with him, and he goes... Um, he's got a van for his symbols. Um, just one van that's just like, and, and, and the first, this was a Jamie Cullen album. And the, and the first, um, the first thing that came out of the, of the van was literally a set of bin lids, <laughs> he was using this high I mean, everyone's like, oh, those sound like bin lids, but actually, matt chamberlain makes bin lids sound like <laughs> like something else <laughs> like literally a set of bin lids and that was that was the first thing that came out and the, that was what was used on that on that album that was chris hill by the way who guys mentioned earlier on as playing in um, yeah uh, in um, in that lorasa gig he was uh he went on to play with jamie conne for like like a decade or something he doesn't do it now but um right
0: okay she's so Jamie cool for a while that's cool okay well I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of your time so i've got one last question for you so um Is there anything that you believe to be true um, that other people may disagree with? It could be anything to
1: do with like the music or just life in general. Um, That's a really complex question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the question almost sounds like it's, you know, something that I believe that everyone else doesn't. um, But I don't have anything like that, I don't think. Um, But what what I will say in answer to that is, um i th- i i think people matter more than almost anything in almost any situation the people make it and um uh i think with with music people matter more than all the other things that others that some might find more kind of you know um important like skill <laughs> and like you know quality of of musicianship. Um, I think the people are more. I'd I'd forgive someone who was uh, who wasn't that great on an instrument, but just the best person ever on a gig, than I would someone who was absolutely the best musician ever but complete arse. Um, uh, so uh, you know, going back to what I said about when you're on tour, especially or on you just on gigs, you're hanging around with people way more than you're playing with them. Um, so I'd I'd say my statement for that would be. People matter more than anything, but I don't think that's contentious, and I don't think many people would disagree with that specific statement. Although they may disagree with my statement about skill, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, well, thanks, man. That's yeah, it's, it's a great answer.
0: It's it's a tough question, but yeah, no, that was that was great. So um, you've got an Instagram page, Alex Reeves Drums, that people can yes. follow, and that's also right, your yes. own website. Is it a new website you've just put up? at the moment,
1: is he- I put, yeah, I, I redesigned at the beginning of this year, because um, my, my other one was about 15 years old and uh, never got updated ever. So that's alexreaves.co.uk, uh, Yeah, or dot .com.
0: Or,
1: or dot com. Right.
0: So uh, where, where would you kind of direct people to, to, get, to get in touch with you about sessions and stuff like that?
1: Uh, yeah, either of those, I check my emails and um, Instagram, uh messages and stuff so uh yeah. Um, yeah if anybody wants to hire me um i'm just sitting in my studio waiting for the gigs to happen again and uh, in loving being in here and recording all the time yeah um i properly nerded out at the beginning of this like you know during this whole time like there was so much time that i was on tour uh that when you came back to the studio after about three or four days you were like oh yeah if i just do this then this is better because you, you you don't forget, but you know you kind of you're constantly learning when you're recording. Mm. Um, but during this time, my next door neighbours, I've I've been kind of I've been kind of tweaking a lot and like making things better and trying to make things so that it's the workflows easier and all that kind of stuff. And I got I got I nerded out to such a point that I was putting this little like double bar um, uh, stereo bar of for for a couple of small diaphragm condensers mounting it on the top of my um on the top of my big mic stand in the back of the to to actors overheads in the studio Mm. and i was kind of like balancing them and getting them right and my next door neighbor came in and went you're like the guys who work for Ardman animation, you know, the guys who make Wallace and Gromit where every scene where like you, you spend an entire day doing something and you get like one minute's worth of film out of it or something. And so it's a, you know, it's like absolutely ridiculous. It's such a nerdy point of like moving things around. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, that's, so that's, that's what this, so I continue to be in the studio until I'm off on the uh, recording an album with Elbow next month. And then hopefully, if all the the world um, is uh, is 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 a bit a bit easier, certainly UK. than hopefully touring. Well, it's in the diary: August, September, October. Right. There's no reason for it not to happen, right? Well, yeah, we like to think so. You know, let's just
0: hope there's no more restrictions happening to the extent we've had. But uh, yeah, yeah yes. we'll see. So people can find you out on the road with Albo at the end of the year, hopefully. Fingers crossed. And also, a yeah. new new record yeah, yeah, yeah. in the pipeline.
1: Yeah, we were kind of putting it all together at the moment. Um, we're doing all the, all the kind of drum parts and writing of the drum parts in my studio here and, uh, having lots of back and forths with the band about which, whether it should be this and whether it should be that. I often frequently get a call from, from Craig saying it should be this and then sending it through and then getting a call from one of the others going, I think it should be this and then changing it and, you know, crafting and crafting. And then we're actually going into a studio in, um, in uh june for two weeks um i'm not sure how much is known about that so i'm not going right. to say anymore but um it's, it's going to be it's going to be absolutely brilliant it's going to be really something awesome good but i'm not so. going to say anymore just in case so. <laughs> no, there's a good well we'll all look forward to kind of catching up with
0: you and even that man, that's great al thanks for your time dude it's been uh it's been great having you on the podcast
1: thanks for inviting me sam
0: no it's no problem it's, it's our pleasure to have you so uh hopefully we'll catch up again soon but uh yeah, in the meantime, you know, carry on doing what you're doing.
1: <laughs> nice one, Sam. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. No worries, man. Speak to you soon.